1: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
0: Are you looking to wager on all the big games in sports? Well, man, do I have the best deal for you. How about going with my friends at Online? This is one of the busiest times of year. College football, NFL, hockey is starting, NBA upcoming, baseball playoffs soon as well. Plus, hey, the Ryder Cup so you can lay some money down on Team USA as well. 50% off you welcome bonus today with Bet Online. Head on over to betonline.ag. That's betonline.ag. It's a 50% bonus up to $1,000 with our promo code BELIEVE. That's B L E A V. B L E A V. Bet Online. BetOnline.ag is the website. BetOnline, where the game starts. Fall is simply football season, and fans across the country are hoping that preseason hype leads to postseason success. In the NFL, we'll see if early Super Bowl favorites like the Chiefs, Eagles, 49ers, and Bills can hold off up-and-comers, and And college football fans are wondering if Georgia will make it a three-peat or if top-ranked challengers like Michigan or Florida State can take home the national championship trophy. The college football and NFL seasons are defined by big plays, injuries, and coaching decisions. As a football fan, I also want to hear about the behind-the-scenes and off-field stories that shape the season. The football interviews and topics you hear on the ML Sports Platter are shaped by lessons learned at St. Bonaventure University. The online master of arts and sports journalism at St. Bonnie equips reporters and hosts for digital storytelling across the sports world. Students learn how to tell compelling stories through digital and traditional platforms. They are also encouraged to envision the future of sports journalism with their capstone projects. This 100% online degree builds on decades of academic excellence, and I'm a proud Bonnie, and I can tell you that you can join me in a growing list of notable graduates, including the New York Post Mike Vaccaro and ESPN's Raina Banks. In fact, you'll hear from an accomplished alum or industry expert during video masterclasses in each course, contact an enrollment advisor at SBUjournalism.com. That's SBUjournalism.com today to learn more about the online master of sports journalism. That's SBUjournalism.com.
1: Hey, this is Linda Cohn from ESPN, and you're listening to the ML Sports Platter.
0: The ML Sports Bladder back with you, brought to you by Trey Waluski of Under Armour Golf, Rosie's Corner, Brewerton Ace Hardware, and Brian Conboy of Mass Mutual, New York State tax-efficient retirement planning. Go see Brian today. Set up your financial future with Brian on LinkedIn and Facebook and advisors.massmutual Well, the book is out, and I am well into it, and it is absolutely tremendous. The Making and Meaning of Michael Jordan. It's simply called Jumpman by Johnny Smith, and again, you can get it online where uh, books are sold, and of course, your nearby bookstores like Barnes & Noble, we bring him in right now. Johnny Smith, the author of Jumpman, The Making and Meaning of Michael Jordan. Johnny, welcome aboard here, pal, and uh, congratulations on the book.
1: I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Let's start, first of all, you know, because the book is called Man, The Making and Meaning of Michael Jordan, and, and to this point, obviously, there's been a million things written about Jordan. There's been The Last Dance, but this book takes on a different meaning. It takes on a unique meaning. There's something different here uh, with MJ. Can, can you get into exactly what that is? You know, because it, obviously, as you know, you jumped into this thing and we're like, okay... I'm taking a different approach than some people might. Oh, it's just another Jordan book, but it's really not. It's about the cultural part, right? The making the meaning when he wins his first title, right? Like the impact of the social culture, whites and blacks and kids and adults, you know, how people viewed and how he was actually made. So, so kind of get into that angle and how you had to attack it from a completely different spot, really.
1: Yeah. Thanks for that question. You know, the book is framed around this crucial period in Jordan's life and career, Uh, the years between 1990 and 1991, it's the moment when he's pursuing his first NBA championship. Of course, it culminates in the Bulls beating the Lakers in the 1991 NBA finals, uh, essentially Jordan dethroning Magic Johnson as the king of the court and it launches Jordan into a whole new place in terms of fame, uh, and also commercial opportunities, um, You know, it's after the 1991 finals that Gatorade launches the Be Like Mike campaign, and I was thinking about that campaign before I wrote the book and and what it meant uh, to the country. How do people interpret Michael Jordan? What is Gatorade and the NBA trying to convey to viewers, to fans, to kids, to parents in that commercial? I think there's two points of significance in that commercial. One is that... uh, Basketball is being positioned as America's game, a democratic sport, because you see Michael Jordan there surrounded by children, kids, boys and girls, uh, kids of all ethnicities and races. And so Jordan is being positioned as this unifying force, someone who brings people together. And that's how Americans really viewed Michael Jordan. Uh, in the early 90s, the beginning of his, his incredible fame. And so I think it's a turning point. And so what I try to do in the book is to go back and look at this period from the late 80s and through winning that first championship to think about why Jordan mattered to Americans and what he meant to people of different backgrounds, black Americans, white Americans, and people around the world.
0: You know what's incredible? I just got done reading the part where you really dive into the commercials and you know the endorsement part and the Air Jordan part and and we'll get in I want to get into the sneaker part really in a big way here because we we all had them I mean you know white black young old like we all had the Air Jordan shoes I, the Jordan Fours are my favorite um, after a couple more were, were released, I really didn't love the styles going forward, but it is quite amazing how Michael Jordan still leads you know selling shoes and he's been retired you know for a million years. It just blows my mind to this right. day but but I, I read something and I'm paraphrasing this, and you can you know help clear it up and explain exactly what I'm really talking about here. He, he, here's my situation. I grew up in a Syracuse suburb. Okay, I grew up in a town that is predominantly white. But I also grew up as a huge basketball fan. I grew up on the 80s and 90s basketball of Magic and Larry and, and Michael Jordan. That's how I got into it. I got into it with NBC Sundays and Marv Albert and the Czar Mike Fratello. You know, I got into it with all of those history lessons from my father on the Bill Russell Celtics. I got into it through the Air Jordans and through Space Jam. I mean, th- this was what, and I'm 43 years old, and that's what we did. I went to basketball camps. I wore the Air Jordans. I wore the Space Jam shirts. In fact, Syracuse head coach Adrian Autry and I are pictured in 1991, and I have a Space Jam, uh, or I have, uh, you know, uh, uh Michael Jordan uh, Space Jam shirt, you know, so, what? but what I'm getting at is, I never thought about this until I read your book last night, the part where white America, and me included, as a kid, or people as an adult, we were just like, oh yeah, MJ, it, 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 he, he's our guy, he's our hero, you know, but we never even thought about race, we didn't even think about, like, the impact on black people and even impact on young white people, you know, it was just like, well, he's like our guy and he's our idol and he's just going to make our world right, you know, and and he's like untouchable and and he's in this stratosphere by himself. You know, white America did look at him like that, right? Like the savior and from a social standpoint, but we never even came across to understand, you know, the the other part. And and I didn't understand that, that that was me, you know, growing up until I read your book. Can you explain more about that?
1: Yeah, well, thank you for that. It's a really thoughtful response to the book and a great question. I, I can relate to much of what you're saying. I think we're about the same age. I grew up uh, in the suburbs of Chicago in the 80s and 90s, uh, mostly white town, mostly white high school, and I grew up in a household where we really didn't talk about race, and I didn't really start thinking about race until I went to college. I was a history major, and I was, you know, beginning to seriously think about teaching history. And um, over the course of my college career, I got to take some great classes in African-American history, modern American history, and sports history. And it was in taking those classes that I began to think more about my own upbringing and the conversations or the silences uh, around the subject of race in America and race in sports. So fast forward, you know, I went on to become a historian, a history professor. And much of my career I've spent um, writing about the intersection of sports and culture, sports and politics. And I've been particularly interested in the experiences of black athletes and their place in the civil rights movement. So I've written about Jackie Robinson and Muhammad Ali and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and others. And I just began thinking about, well, where does Jordan fit on this continuum of history? You know, of course, we think of him as this incredible athlete, um, you know, but where does he fit in terms of his contributions in the larger black freedom struggle? And so that was really what drove me. And also, I think in my own mind, too, on another level, I want to think more about what he meant to kids like you and me. What was the message being sent in those commercials um, and those uh, movies um, about Michael Jordan? What, what were we supposed to take away from him? Well, one of the main arguments I make in the book Is that Michael Jordan was really the first athlete, black athlete, I should say, first black athlete, who was marketed towards kids. And kids were used in commercials to soften the image of this dark-skinned black man to help white America become more comfortable with him. And you see this not only in the Gatorade commercial from 1991, the Be Like Mike ad. But also in other ads that came before it, in um, Chevrolet commercials, Coca-Cola commercials, McDonald's commercials, this was a deliberate strategy. And so you can see how the marketers were making an intentional choice to use children to get us to see Michael in a certain light. And he was the everyman. He was someone you could see as your friend, as your neighbor. And contrast that with the kinds of images – that were being produced in the media, particularly in Chicago at that time. You know, Michael Jordan becomes the face of Chicago. And if you read the Tribune at that time and you watch the local news, the stories about young black men, young black men who looked like Michael, oftentimes on the local news it was about crime. It was about uh, muggings. And you would read these stories, you would see them in the Trib in the Chicago Sun-Times, and you would see it on the late-night news. So Jordan becomes a new face for black Chicago. And that was something that I really wanted to explore as well, having grown up um, in relation to the city. And I think a lot of um, white columnists in Chicago and around the country, they saw Jordan as someone who redefined the the city and the national imagination because he came to overshadow um, the problems in the city. You know, where Chicago was – really one of the most segregated cities in the country in the late 1980s when he first came to the Bulls. And so I wanted to explore that tension and and how Jordan defined himself and distanced himself from
0: the civil rights activists in Chicago and in other places in America. And really the two things, I guess, kind of off of that, Johnny, would be, and again, Johnny Smith, our guest here on the ML Sports Platter, the book is out called Jumpman, The Meaning are the making and meaning of Michael Jordan available online where books are sold? The two real big things kind of coming out of that, right, is that he had a huge burden that he carried, you know, as a symbol of racial progress. But people like me didn't know because I'm a you know young grade school like innocent white kid who' just going to basketball camps and thinking I'm practicing a turnaround jump shot in my backyard basketball hoop, you know nah, 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 if I could be you know and he like me and I'm singing the Gatorade song you know and and we're all doing that across America, so I think that's the one big thing because we're just innocent I mean, we have no idea like we, we have no idea he's carrying it because he's on our screen, and it's just Michael Jordan is our guy, and he's that yeah. that's right that I mean, I mean, that, that that's the like one you, thing right it has to be
1: yeah like you you know all my childhood athletic heroes I, i'm pretty sure all of them were black athletes sure. you know i loved frank thomas the slugger for the chicago white Sox. Yeah. ken griffey jr uh, barry sanders the detroit Lions. so this was a new era um in the book i quote from stanley crouch who was a, a black journalist and cultural critic And he makes this point about Jordan being seen as this symbol of racial progress that in the 90s, um, if blonde haired girls had posters of Jordan in their bedrooms, their parents didn't really care. But if that had happened in the 60s, 30 years earlier, um, that would be a real problem. It was not possible decades earlier for white kids to idolize and to imagine themselves being like a black man. Jordan changes that, but one of the points I try to make in the book is that part of what made Jordan acceptable uh, with white America is the fact that he didn't remind them that he was black. He was portrayed as being an exceptional black man, the antithesis of the stereotypes that were portrayed in the media. And, of course, the fact that he didn't engage with civil rights issues, that he never revealed any anger or frustration with racism or his own battles with the color line growing up in the South, you know, that made folks, white folks, more comfortable with him. And that was also true of, of Magic Johnson. You know, this was an era in which the biggest black stars in the NBA outside of Isaiah Thomas and Charles Barkley, they didn't really talk about race in America. And that was intentional. And of course, David Stern, who comes as commissioner in 1984, he wants it that way because prior to him becoming commissioner, there was a great deal of ink spilled over this uh, stigma around the NBA that it was quote-unquote too black and that the black players were selfish and greedy and lazy and all these stereotypes and that many of them were using drugs. And so what the NBA wants are these supposedly wholesome uh, men of character who can represent the NBA and change the image of the league. And that is the role that Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan played in rehabilitating the league's reputation.
0: Yeah, and that's why this book is just so different and so outstanding, uh, looking at these things that just have not been covered with this kind of detail, of course. And yeah, the mystique. Really, too, uh, that, you know, you had alluded to earlier, you know, in terms of allowing him to seem like, oh, my goodness, he's he's this, you know, the, the likable, and he is likable, but likable to Americans who thought not just, oh, I love MJ, I love basketball, I love Gatorade, I love sneakers, I love sports, I love, no, no, no. They also didn't even have a clue that, you know, like, oh, well, you know, they want to believe that race didn't even really matter, you know. And here, here's MJ and he kind of gave them this idea, which was completely not true, especially in a city like Chicago, Johnny, you know.
1: Right. Yeah. You know, he he would give this standard line. There were a couple standard lines he would use whenever reporters would bring up the subject. One was that, you know, I don't want people to think of me as a black man. Yeah. I wanted to think of me as a person,
0: person. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: you know. So he's he's whitewashing, essentially mm-hmm. sanitizing, erasing his racial history, and there's all sorts of questions about why he would do that um, that we can get into. But then the other thing he would say is, um, "I don't see you for the color of your skin," right? So he's expressing this idea of colorblindness. Now, colorblindness was uh, an approach that a lot of Americans with good intentions had. During the 80s, you know, it sort of echoes this message from Martin Luther King that someday our children won't be judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. Mm -hmm. But we have to take King's message a step further and really think about what he was saying. You know, if we ignore the fact um, that race doesn't exist, then it becomes a lot easier to ignore the fact that racism exists. And that's the danger of colorblindness. But in the 1980s, we see this in popular culture in a lot of our television program that I'm sure you watched, like me, whether it was The Cosby Show or Different Strokes, yeah. um, these programs didn't explicitly deal with race. In fact, one study interviewed um, white TV watchers who loved The Cosby Show, and, and what they, the researchers, found is that white TV viewers liked The Cosby Show because the family, this upper class black family, didn't really talk explicitly about race in America. And that in the eyes of these white viewers made them the Cosby seem more American. Well, I see parallel commentary about Michael Jordan that he's often referred to as a great American hero, not a great black American hero, but a great American hero. And so it's all part of this era in which, you know, there's this sort of um, removing black American celebrities from the history of this country from the struggles that they've had and trying to portray them in a way that is non-threatening.
0: ML Sports Platter back with you and uh, more here with Johnny Smith, the author of Jumpman, the making and meaning of Michael Jordan online, amazon.com where books are sold in your nearby bookstores like Barnes and Noble. Just a couple more quick ones for you, Johnny here. And I want to get, you know, into the Air Jordan situation why were the Air Jordans great, you know, for, you know, ABCD, everything down the line, you know, basketball, culture, sports, MJ, uh, kids, etc. Why Why were they great, you know, when did they become the greatest, and, and, and why were they bad, and why were they the worst, because I know you're probably, with the worst, you're, it's easy, oh, well, the crime, the crime, but maybe it extends beyond that, so can, can you kind of get into the best and worst of the Air Jordan part,
1: sneakers? Yeah, you know, the Air Jordans they're fashionable first and foremost, right? You know, that in the late eighties the different models really appealed um to people who weren't necessarily gonna play basketball in them. They become part of fashion. And I think that was intentional on um Bill Knight's part. He saw Nike becoming um really a marketing company uh, as much as a shoe company. And so what they're trying to sell is a lifestyle. And much of that lifestyle is rooted in hip-hop culture. Yeah, uh, In part of the book, I, I write about how these hip-hop artists, uh, black hip-hop artists, they were wearing the Jordan sneakers and they made them cool. And that there were Americans, so black, white, who they wanted to seem cool too. And so this association between the shoes and hip-hop culture, on the one hand, encouraged the sales because people wanted to signify through the products they bought that they were cool and no doubt i bought into this when i was a kid uh i had several pairs of air jordans and other fashionable basketball shoes that i wore only when i was going to school or or, (laughs) you know with my friends not necessarily playing basketball so that's part of the culture shift that's taking place um on the flip side of that though the air jordan sneakers and basketball shoes also become associated through the the press with urban crime and in 1990 there's a sports illustrated cover story a cover story that perpetuates this hysteria reporting that there is a huge crime wave of inner city black kids who are robbing and mugging one another for these expensive air jordan shoes they could not afford and um there was a, a prominent columnist the new york post named phil Mushnick who explicitly went after Jordan and Spike Lee and said, you're to blame for this violence. Well, what I try to do in in the book is explain two things. Number one, that this uh, hysteria was completely exaggerated. Um, Richard Lapchick, who was the director then of the Northeastern University Sport and Society Institute, found that between 1983 and 1990, there are only nine documented murders related to shoe robberies, that this was exaggerated. And in fact, there was no evidence that showed that there was a specific number of Air Jordan sneakers that were being taken from black kids in the inner city. And of course, these reporters, they didn't explore this story in the suburbs, you know, were there muggings going on in the suburbs. Um, So this story really perpetuated this idea of black on black crime. And Jordan gets caught, of course, in the crosshairs of this. And he's asked about it. And what he recognizes is that, you know, yes, in fact, there were a few stories and they were tragic stories. But the press is looking to him to have answers about urban crime. He doesn't have the answers. He's not prepared for these questions. And he struggles with what to do with it. And long story short. Between that and an organized boycott from Jesse Jackson's Operation PUSH, uh, which organized a boycott against Nike in the summer of 1990, a few months after this Sports Illustrated story, Jordan escapes. He goes to Europe on a Nike tour. He visits uh, military um, soldiers, and, and he gets away from the story. And that really, I think, symbolizes Jordan's approach to these controversies. He just wants to get away. It's one reason why I refer to him as the jump man. He just wants to fly away from these issues. He wants to escape, but he never can. Those, those stories are waiting for him when he comes home.
0: What do you hope people say about this book when they're at the end?
1: I hope that it changes the way they think about Michael Jordan's place in America. I hope that it changes the way they think about the relationship between race and sports in America and um that they also learn something about american history and american culture and and basketball's role in shaping the way we think about race uh, those are my aims in writing the book
0: final thing that i have for you is everybody has their opinions about you know an athlete you know some people think they should be a role model some people don't because uh, role model come on you don't even it should be your your mom or your dad your teachers or whatever somebody you actually know um You know, there's people like Jim Brown, you know, who has been outspoken about MJ and like he didn't do enough and then other people don't care. Where do you land? Should Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player of all time, according to most, should he have done more politically, socially, you know, racially, should he have been more of a talking head um, during his playing days? And and should, and maybe even now, now that social media is involved, like where is his place do you think in all of that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. You know, Jordan himself said um, that all of us in the NBA, we are role models. And so for someone who avoids discussing, addressing um, problems in society, racism, police brutality, crime, whatever, you know, what does it say about what kind of role model you are if you won't address those subjects? You know, for Jordan, being a role model meant. Uh, working hard, being successful. That's really what it came down for him. You know, he wants to be seen as a man of character. But when he was pressed to take a stand, he didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, what are the implications of that? He was uncomfortable in that role. In the aftermath of... Um, Rodney King in 1991 being beaten by the LAPD for us all to see on this grainy television footage uh, and the 1992 L.A. uprising. You know, Jordan tells reporters, I am not a leader. This is not my place. And I think for many in the black community, this is difficult to accept. Because historically, black athletes have carried the aspirations of the community because they have been so visible in the culture, because they have carried cultural clout and influence that he had this platform. In the long run, although it's fair to criticize Jordan for not doing more with his platform to combat um, the ills of society to confront inequality during his playing days, the fact is, is that there were very few... NBA black NBA stars during that period who were doing anything differently than jordan magic johnson was the same way um he didn't talk about these issues for jordan and johnson their approach was we're going to be successful in corporate america that's where we're going to make our breakthroughs that's where we're going to shatter through these racial barriers and in the long run we're going to accumulate wealth and use that wealth to make a difference in our communities and now that jordan as uh the ceo of brand jordan and as the first player turned owner of the charlotte hornets now he's sold the team he's used that wealth to contribute to civil rights organizations to historically black colleges and universities um and in other ways too that are making a difference in people's lives um and in black communities so would he have been able to do that if he had come to the NBA being seen as a radical or a militant, it's hard to imagine that he would have had as much success in corporate America and been able to build that wealth that one day could be used to advance uh, social justice causes.
0: Well, the book is out. It's amazing. Online where books are sold, Amazon.com. You're nearby Bar- Barnes & Noble as well. It is called... Jumpman, The Making and Meaning of Michael Jordan, the author is Johnny Smith, of course. And hey, Wright Thompson of uh, ESPN.com, the senior writer says, Other Michael Jordan books have shown the what's and where's and whys. Now, Jumpman, an essential addition to the canon, explains what it all costs. And that testimonial is so spot on. Again, it's called Jumpman, The Making and Meaning of Michael Jordan, the author, Johnny Smith. Johnny, so happy to have you. Thank you so much. I'm enjoying the book and uh, congratulations. I can't wait to see what's next, my man. Oh, thank you so much. I've enjoyed the conversation. SU sports are underway. Hi, this is Joe Convertino Jr. here at CH Insurance. In our new offices downtown, we have over our entryway, Work Like a Champion. We all high-five it to remind us of what we're here to do for you. As an independent agent, we're seeking the right coverage at the right price to protect your business and all that's important to you. We play as a team, win as a team. That's our theme. Count on the team who knows there's no offseason